0: person here would look at what does this mean from our our own hearts our own church so may we be doers and not just hearers of the word in jesus name amen if you want to turn to revelation chapter three we'll be starting with verse one this is our fifth church there are three in revelation next week it'll get better (laughs) well maybe the sermon will be better but the church will be better right so Um, And I also, now maybe last uh, summer in July, you remember I challenged you to pray for five people for five weeks or more. And just for God to put them on your heart and open up needs or conversations. And you remember that? Remember? About that. I'll try again next week as a part of the message you want to talk about that so if you have a little story that you'd like to share a very brief just a testimony I want to invite you to be free to in the service we'll stand up and have a time for you just to share confidentially without using names of what opportunities God opened up as you have prayed those five weeks or more uh, starting last summer for five different people in your circle of influence okay so be ready Okay, I see nodding heads, we'll be ready, right, you'll be ready to share, you don't have to come up front, you can do it from your chair, but okay, all right, this week, Sardis, the hollow church, the Queen Mary, anyone ever visited the Queen Mary, how many have gone down to Long Beach and seen the Queen Mary, we saw it uh, as part of our honeymoon, Uh, so that was in 1981, so this wasn't long after that, that the Queen Mary was the largest ship, in 1936 it was launched, and it was the largest ship to cross the Atlantic Ocean at that time. So for four decades, the Queen Mary went through a world war, and she served until she was anchored as a floating hotel and museum in Long Beach, California. So while converting the ship into a tourist attraction, you know the great big giant massive smokestacks, they pulled them off of the ship and put them on the dock to scrape them and get them ready. But when the the smokestacks were put on the dock, they all crumbled. See, nothing was left of the inch and a quarter steel plate that had made up the smokestacks. All that was there were 30 or more coats of paint. All of the metal on the inside had rusted away. The steel core was gone. There was nothing but a hollow shell that only looked like a smokestack. Well, this was the situation for the church in Sardis. It looked alive, it appeared alive, it was functioning on the outside, but it was really only a hollow shell. The church kept doing their programs, never realizing they were dead at their core. So how do you know if you are a church that's full of life, Or a church that's missing life? How do we know? That's a question for today. So Revelation chapter 3 verse 1 starts, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive. But you are dead. So here we are, back to our map, we're going clockwise around, we are, uh, we went to, now I can't see that far, Thyatira is up in the upper right, and Sardis is kind of in the middle, and then Philadelphia, our shining star, our best church of the seven, and then finally Laodicea, but we're kind of up on the right to the east. And this is modern-day Turkey. And Sardis at that time was a commercially prosperous city. It was on a strategic military crossroads. And it specialized in making jewelry and metal coins. Now, here's the interesting thing. Sardis had a reputation for excessive luxury, even by secular standards at that time. So for all of the immorality and idolatry and such going on, to say that you were one of the worst of the even a, a, a city of in a pretty decadent area of the world at that time says a lot. They had a large temple of Artemis on one part of their skyline, and then on the opposite was a necropolis, a cemetery, a place for the dead. And so there was worship that would happen there also. And that dominated Sardis' skyline. And also, Sardis itself was built, as you can see, it's kind of up on a rocky hill. And so it was like an impregnable fortress. You couldn't get in there easily. Real easy to defend. And yet... Twice in their history, Sardis was conquered because the night watch people would become slack. They figured, oh look, nobody can ever get to us and so they lacked the guards to take care of them and twice in their history, they were conquered because they never really took care of taking care of themselves. They were overconfident, they were slack, they were resting on their their previous reputation. So by 80 AD, when the Revelation, book of Revelation was written, the city was in decline. They had rested now on their past glory and traditions. So all of this city history is going to factor in to how the church is functioning. So Jesus is holding the seven spirits and the seven stars again this comes out of revelation chapter one they repeats that and so what does this mean that he holds the seven stars and he holds these seven churches in his hand means that he is the sovereign lord over each church that jesus has the right to decide i'm going to send my spirit when and how i choose that the churches are not like we get to do our own thing and we'll just sort of nod to jesus and say hi how you doing up there He is the sovereign Lord over every one of these churches, just like he is today. And so the words that he speaks to them, he has the right to say to them. And they are not easy words. This is one of two churches. The other one will be Laodicea, in which he offers no praise. Did you notice all the other four churches before this, he said something good. Here's something good you are doing. He doesn't say that about Sardis. They look like they're doing something good. But they don't. So he offers no praise for this church. Their reputation is for being alive, but he says it's false because he sees the heart. In a declining city that's living off of its past glory and reputation, here's the sad thing the church wasn't any different than the city. The city was saying, We were once glorious, we're rich and luxurious, so we'll just live off of that reputation. The church is doing the same. So man, we look at appearances, don't we? We see the outside because it's the easiest to see. But God looks at the heart. There's a different reality when God can look into the motives and the heart and all the other things that are going on because God sees our spirit. Because there's a whole other world that we don't see, the spirit world. And that's where God is. So churches cannot afford to dwell in the past. Ecclesiastes 7.10. It says... Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Now, perhaps the church at Sardis were protecting some longstanding traditions. Any church or any organization, really, that's been going on for decades or even centuries, let's say, they develop traditions. They develop a heritage. There are things that they, they get used to. And so a church is no different. So if this church was going along for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, because it's you know, somewhere around 90 AD, maybe they were resting on their past longstanding traditions. Here's what one writer, commentator said about this church. He said, they sang, but they didn't really worship. They recited prayers, But they didn't really hear God. They performed deeds, but they didn't really serve. They were just going through the motions. Do you ever feel like that? Sometimes you get so busy with activities, but you still feel empty. And the busier you get, the emptier you might feel. Does your spiritual life feel hollow inside? Do you ever feel like you're just going through the motions? And can a whole church go through the motions and not even know it? And not even be aware that they're doing activities and they look busy? Because Sardis was not aware that they were dead. Could, could we ever fall victim to that? Or is that just some other church that's really not in touch with God? Or could a church that thinks they're in touch with God miss the boat? So those are questions we ask ourselves individually. We ask ourselves corporately because Jesus clearly calls them dead. There could not be a stronger condemnation. There's no mention of persecution in this church. There's no mention of heresies. There's not even a mention of immorality. Perhaps Satan had no need to apply external pressure, the corruption of Thyatira, the compromise of Pergamos, the persecution of Smyrna. You know, at least in Ephesus, there was, you've left your first love, doesn't mean they've totally lost it. This church seems to have gone beyond Ephesus, having activities, but not even having a heart, not even being alive. So Satan, maybe he didn't have a need to pressure this church. Maybe this church was not penetrating their cult, the culture around them because the culture had already penetrated the church. Do you ever see that? So it's not a good situation. So on your outline, in your bulletin, if you're following along, there's a little pull out there. Look beyond appearances to God's reality. There's something beyond what our eyes can see. Mother Teresa, who's known for her charitable work, she said this, and notice this attitude. We pray through our work by doing it with Jesus, for Jesus, To Jesus. Remember, she was in the slums of Calcutta, India. With Jesus, for Jesus, and to Jesus. That helps us put our whole heart and soul into it. The dying, the crippled, the mentally ill, the unwanted, the unloved, they are Jesus in disguise. Would you feel like that? Around the crippled, the mentally ill, the unwanted, unloved? And she says, it's easy to be occupied for Jesus, but not with Jesus. You can do all the right actions according to the church at Sardis and have no heart. So are you more occupied for Jesus or with Jesus? Are you able to look beyond the externals to God's reality and know then believe that he can do a great work for you, with you, and through you? You just have to have your heart dedicated to him in what you're doing to do it with him, for him, and to him. See, God doesn't want us to be hollow shells. Revelation 3.2 goes on and says, Wake up! Here's some remedies. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and Repent. See, things are in a crisis, but they're not beyond hope. He says they're dead, but it doesn't mean they can't be resurrected back to life. that they once must have had, because he says, strengthen what remains. But first, Jesus remedy says, wake up to your reality. Wake up that you're a hollow shell. Wake up that it looks like you're doing all the right things, but the heart is missing, and so you are dead. Remember, I had mentioned at the beginning of the message that Sardis had fallen twice in its history because they were slack in being watchful. The church is also slack in being spiritually watchful. And they are following their culture all around them. And so the city had been conquered and destroyed. The church, obviously, has been conquered and destroyed. Ray Steadman, a pastor and author who's since graduated to heaven, He wrote and Urged Dying Churches, he says to them, Wake up, honestly face your failure. Feel the dullness of your services. Smell the deadness of your life. Ask, what has gone wrong? Why are our services so dreary, so dull, so unattractive? Why do people not want to come? Now, you might think it's a style issue, but it's not. This is a heart issue. The style doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if there are hymns or you have a a rock band doing the latest praise choruses. It's a heart issue. You can have the most upbeat contemporary worship or the most traditional type style of music and it's a heart issue because that doesn't make or break whether a church is dead or not. It's a heart. Do you sing and worship? As they said earlier, you can sing and not worship. You can serve, but really not ever do what God wants you to do. You can just be busy. So wake up, number one remedy. Number two remedy, strengthen what remains, he says. Build up the positive things that you have because there are a few we'll find that had some positive things that it held on. Rebuild your spiritual core instead of propping up outward forms. And that's what we tend to do. We grab on to an outward form and say, see, we're doing it. You know, we can do a nawana program and still not really be a church committed to outreach. Is that not true? Do we really reach out to the kids or go through the motions? Not saying that's what we're doing, just saying it's helpful to ask those questions. Rebuild your spiritual core instead of propping up outward forms. See, programs and activities, they don't really matter if they don't come from the heart. They have to be the overflow of our spiritual life, not creating our spiritual life. So wake up, build up, and remedy three, stand up. Stand up for your most precious possession. Fight for it. Your most precious possession is Jesus Christ that lives in you. And out of that, that core, that spiritual relationship core, the rest of your spiritual life flows. You can get up at four in the morning, read your Bible for two and three hours. You can pray for another couple of hours, give half or all of your money for that matter, serve, do a lot of different things, and that is not going to make you any more spiritual. Do you believe that? Those things don't make you spiritual. They help, but if you don't have the core, it's not going to happen. You can go through all the motions I said in Sunday school. I knew other pastors that studied got up at four in the morning and studied, and one of them left the church with a letter to the whole congregation outlining all of the things wrong with the church and the senior pastor, and made a split. What happened to all that prayer time it was a very legalistic, harsh, rigid person and you know, it's one, of, And I'll be honest with you, I struggle thinking, how can you spend that much time in word and in the prayer and end up so cantankerous and rigid and difficult? But that sometimes I fear and tell myself, I don't want to become like that, because sometimes the longer some of us are Christians, the worse we get, the less fruit of the Spirit. Do you ever notice that? Well, we better move on before I convict myself too much and start crying. Spiritual vitality is less about what you do and more about who you are. You will not be judged by all the things you did as much as who you are, who you became. Yes, you will have judgment about your actions, don't get me wrong, but it's really going to be about the heart that you did them. So you can do all those things and then they get put on the judgment seat of Christ that mentioned in the epistle to the Corinthians and they're burned up. They're wood and straw because the heart was missing. So wake up, build up, stand up for what really matters, which is your relationship with God. The last half of verse 3, Jesus says, that, But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you do not know at what time I will come to you. Now it might be a reference to the rapture, it might not, maybe it's just a personal judgment for the church, but... Kind of interesting. I will come like a thief. I will come hidden. I will come at a time you don't expect, which is what happened to the city, right? So he warns of the consequences of remaining as a hollow shell of spiritual existence. I will come unexpectedly. I will take you down just like the city got took down twice. Somehow the church in Sardis lasted until the 14th century, but it never had a very distinguished role. And today only the little village of Sart remains near the ruins of the once opulent Sardis. You climb up a hill, and then these spectacular ruins are all around you, but this church and the town had been long since gone. So lesson two: look beyond traditions to your spiritual core. So we look beyond appearances to God's reality. And we look beyond traditions, those things that we hold on to that we think define us, not to say they're bad. you got to have some traditions. There were a lot of traditions in the Old Testament, the feasts and and the special days that God told them to keep over the centuries. But those traditions, in the case of the Pharisees and others, were more important than their spiritual core. And that's what Jesus attacked in them. A woman recalls one mother's day, my husband gave me hose, not the kind of hose you wear, but a green hose 45 feet long that waters your yard. Now, ladies, before you turn on this poor man, she wanted she, and, and she appreciated this particular hose, because she was the one who watered the yard and all the plants in the yard. She said, before that, I had this black hose that was over 20 feet long, and I would water, but there was a a hole in a couple of places, or halfway back from the nozzle, there was a hole. And she said, so when I watered, I could water two places at once. But later, two more holes appeared, so I could water four areas at once, and it created an artistic fountain between the trees but she said after a while not much water was coming out the end imagine that and so one evening it sprung so many holes she got drenched trying to water the lawn and the husband decided that'll be your mother's day present maybe for father's day she'll get him a dusting cloth or something so anyway Here's the illustration. Here's the point. Diversion is a key tactic of the devil in our spiritual life, isn't it? Satan knows that a leaky spiritual hose is never as effective as a solid one that has a lot of spiritual power coming out the end. But if he can make some leaks along the way so there's not much power coming out the other end of your life, then he has accomplished his purposes. What kind of leaks am I talking about metaphorically here? Things we've already talked about in the churches, losing your spiritual passion, compromising our beliefs, corrupting the purity of our walk, resting in our past heritage, protecting our traditions, or simply just becoming too busy for spiritual relationship. So let me ask you, and this is really a hard question, something that really requires all of us to think, what are the leaks in your spiritual hose? How has Satan reduced your water flow? You ever thought about that? What ways does Satan keep the power out of your life by giving these little distractions, these little things that just let some of the water go where your spiritual vitality is drained away? A genuine spiritual core can replace that hollow shell. So ask yourself, what leaks does God want me to shore up today? He goes on in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 4 and says, Yet, here's some good news for them. You have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. Even in pagan religion, you could not worship an idol in soiled clothes. You know, before you enter a mosque, you have ablation, which is the washing. They have to wash hands and feet, they take their shoes off. And so there's a washing that says, I cannot enter here with the dirt of the world on me to worship God. So it was the same even in pagan worship. You couldn't come in soiled clothing, otherwise, you might lose your standing in the community. The hollow spiritual lives lack a devoted heart for Jesus. And so we go before God. We're soiled in our spiritual life. And not just come and cleanse me, God, but I come just saying, I'm going to live how I want. We don't come with a heart that's wanting to be humble and confess our sins. We just come and say, okay, God, I'm checking off my box. I'm doing my due. Showing up to church. Praying a little bit. And Jesus is saying, you come with soiled clothes. But here's what Ray Stedman, again, who I referenced before, he writes about overcomers. He says, the ones who had remained faithful to their Lord, the ones who were always butting their heads up against the granite of First Church's rock-ribbed traditions, against all odds and mean-spirited vocal opposition, these faithful overcomers were doing their best to maintain First Church's proud heritage of outreach and ministry coming to church was not just a social occasion for them or a chance to socialize with friends or the right people coming to church was the time for recharging their spiritual batteries to prepare for whatever work their Lord had for them to go out and do in the world which picture best describes why you come to church Do you come to protect a tradition, greet your friends, recharge your spiritual batteries? Doesn't mean you don't have some meeting of friends that's a part of that. Maybe that's part of recharging your batteries, but is the main reason you come just to see people, catch up, protect a tradition, or to recharge your spiritual batteries because you say, I got to have this feeling to go out and do what I'm called to do the rest of the week. It's a filling station. You're a commando going out, not a person retreating back into the fortress for a few hours of protection. So what's your vision of why you come to church? The few unsoiled believers in Sardis you to walk with Jesus were called dressed in white. White clothing in scripture refers to both purity and glory. We mentioned in a previous week so when we go to the lamb's feast in heaven we will be dressed in white we will have the purity and glory that Jesus gives us verse 5 we can in that verse read the last half of it Jesus says I will never blot out the name of that person that overcomer from the book of life but will announce that name before my father and his angels whoever has ears to hear let them here, and what the Spirit says to the churches. So overcomers' names are entered in the book of life. Now, where does this blotting thing come from? So back in a lot of the cities then, when you were born, you were written into the city book, their book of life, so to speak, of who is a citizen of our community. And when you died, they blotted it out. Or if you became a criminal, they, they blotted your name out. And so Jesus is taking that word picture and he's saying, you will never as an overcomer be blotted out from the book of life. It's not going to happen. You're secure. You're safe. If you keep following and you're as an overcomer, your name won't, when you pass away and die, you won't cease from existence. Your name will stay there forever. And then he gives another final promise that's kind of spectacular, I think. Now, if you're a fan of shows like Downton Abbey, or you kind of watch those Jane Austen movies that are on every so often, and you see royal balls and they have and and the people stand at the door and then and they wait and then they announce you know you know the the Earl and Countess of Downton Abbey, and they come in right? you all understand that. So imagine now you're going to go to heaven someday and you will stand at that lamb's feast and maybe before you enter, your name will be announced to the hosts of heaven who you are and all of the shame and all of the the hurt and the pain and the ways you think you failed will be gone and your name will be announced with honor as it is in a royal ball. And so you will sit with the lamb and you will be known One of the other churches, it says you'll get a white stone. I think that was in Pergamos with your special name written on it. Maybe they'll announce that special name on that glorious day. What an incredible validation that you have to look forward to. So number three, look beyond this world to your future glory. Look beyond our appearances of what we see with our eyes or hear with our ears to God's reality And look, just look beyond the traditions and the things we hold on to that think that defines our spiritual life and build up our spiritual core. But we also need to realize that we're more than this world. We will go beyond into eternity, one place or another. So look to your future glory if you're an overcomer, a follower of Jesus. There was a family that was assigned by their mission organization to a resistant urban area, some city somewhere in the world, that only had a few small churches, even after many decades of missionary work. Friends begged this family to reconsider and just begged them to start in a place where people would be responsive to the gospel. But this family was convinced that their calling from God was to go to that city anyway. Anyway, they didn't know how to reach the city for Christ, but they knew God knew. And so when they arrived, they met with 14 other believers and agreed to pray until God showed them how he, God, would reach the city. And so they spent all night in a prayer time. And they sensed God saying to them, the reason why I can't reach this city for Christ is that I don't have any clean vessels with which to work. So they all fell on the dirt floor of their meeting house and wept as God began to reveal everything in their lives that hindered his work. A new spirit began among them, that small group of believers. They began speaking boldly about love and power of Jesus in the marketplace. God began to demonstrate his power at work through these clean vessels. And during the next three and a half years, thousands upon thousands made professions of faith in Jesus Christ. When the family came home for furlough, some three and a half years later, 156 churches had been started by the new believers in that urban area. Imagine. God can revitalize a soul. He can revitalize a church. He can revitalize a city that's sold out for him. So are you a clean vessel that God can use? Or do you feel some hollowness inside? Maybe in a little corner of your soul you feel a little hollow thing that keeps popping up every so often. How does God want to purify you to make you ready for the future glory of his kingdom? To dress you in white? To announce your name to the hosts of heaven? And is there ways that we as a church here at Evangelical Free Church in Chewila, are there ways that we cling to things, traditions, practices, We miss opportunities God has and we hinder the work he could be doing in this whole region through us. God called the church of Sardis to look beyond appearances, look beyond traditions, look beyond their busy activities and go to their spiritual core, their relationship with Jesus to build a future glory. Lord God, we thank you That you are bold and you don't just let us stay in our states of these various churches. Be it a hollow spot or a hollow core. I don't know how deep that is, Lord. And maybe there's somebody here that has that hollow feeling and they've been going to church or they know about God for all these years. I just pray right now, Lord, that you would speak to that person who's feeling an overall hollowness in their spiritual life that they feel a lot more like Sardis than any of the other churches. I prayed that this would be the day they would meet Jesus. Lord, I had gone to church every day or every week for 18 years and didn't know Jesus until I found out having a personal relationship with him and my spiritual core would change my life. I pray for whoever that is, however many there are sitting here this morning with that spiritual hollow core that you would speak into their heart, that they would maybe even pray a prayer like this, and if you would care to silently follow along, if you are one of those with that hollow core, you can make that commitment to have Jesus fill up that core this morning. <clears throat> and then you can take communion with us. Because unless you have Jesus filling up your spiritual core and you're a hollow shell, then he says you shouldn't be receiving communion. Because you don't have me living inside. So you could say and pray a prayer like this Lord God, I realize I am hollow inside. I realize that I am a sinner who is imperfect and separated from you. And I realize there's nothing I can do to earn my way to heaven. I can't work my way into heaven by being better but Lord, I now realize that Jesus Christ is God and that he paid for all of my sins through his death on the cross. I thank you, Lord, that you have provided a way to have relationship. I thank you, Lord, that Jesus, if I invite him in, will come into my heart. I thank you that Jesus and the Holy Spirit will fill up my hollow core. So I ask right now, Jesus, come into my life. Fill up my hollow core. I thank you, God, because you will do what you said you would do and you will come inside whoever prayed that prayer. That they are... new daughter or new son in the kingdom of God whose name will be announced, who will be dressed in white at the Lamb's Feast. Lord, for those of us who made that profession a long time ago, but every so often we look and we find that hollow core that we've kept aside, I pray that you would show us what areas are we holding back? Where are we not a clean vessel? Make that plain, Lord that we can walk in the full spiritual core, not as some leaky hose that misses the power of God coming out from us because we've held back areas, we've compromised, we've lost our passion. Help us to walk fully with you so that when we take this communion, Lord, we're ready spiritually. We can remember why we are where we are because of Jesus. We can share that communion and remember its whole meaning. And so, Lord, open our eyes. Help us right now as we get ready for communion and we sing this hymn and we listen to the music as the elements are distributed that we can take that little hollow piece of our soul that we've held back and we can give it to you to receive this communion in a worthy manner. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.